We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Hey everyone, it's Dan Favalli. Remember to search Blue Wire Buckets in iTunes or Spotify for more NBA content. Hello and welcome to the Eurostep episode 23. I'm Kane Pittman and I am joined again by Ty Windish who returns after having a day off and... Uh, I think it was probably it's probably good for everyone that he's back because I, I rambled on by myself for forty five minutes the other day and I had no one to, to keep me under control. So Ty, how you doing? I'm good. That was a fun and interesting listen. I think you're a little too hard on yourself for that podcast. I'm actually a little worried that it went so smoothly because I feel like I have less job security than I did when I left. I I'm a little I feel like I'm a little more tenuous now, but otherwise I'm I'm real good after that nice game four from Milwaukee. Yeah, the Bucks win again. They take a 3-1 lead in the series now, which after game one where they obviously had their biggest loss of the season, it's probably uh, gone as well as it possibly could. They win 113-101. to uh, It was again a, a third-quarter explosion from an interesting Bucks lineup, which we're going to touch on a little bit later. But I did say at the end of the last episode we, we were going to have a guest, and we do. It's by far the highest-profile person that's ever been on the Euro step. It is uh, Brian Butch, who was the Wisconsin Badger from 2004 to 2008. He was with the Herd this year as an assistant coach, so he was working closely with DJ Wilson and Sterling Brown and some of these guys that were down with the Herd. And now he's on the score, Wisconsin, from 6 a.m. to 8 a.m. with BJ DeGroote. And those guys uh, have been uh, friends of, of the podcast and, and a great support for, for Ty and myself. So, Brian... Welcome on. I appreciate you guys having me on. Looking forward to it. Should be a good, uh, good night talking basketball. Well, it was a, a, a podcast episode after game one was a, a little more critical probably than this one's going to be. But I will start with Giannis. Obviously, I, I, I touched on the big game for him. He had 39 points, 16 rebounds, four assists, a steal and a block as well in, in 34 minutes. He had 17 points in the fourth quarter. And while the Bucks ran up a bit of a lead in the third quarter, he really closed the door 
Uh, and, and at that point, uh, there was a lot of talk about the foul in, in game three, but by this point, Giannis, it felt like he has completely broken down the Celtics and, and really uh, ensured that, that, that there was no chance the Bucs were going to lose. Did you, when you see Giannis in, in the fourth quarter, Brian, and I, I tweeted something about this this morning, and I think when people think of a traditional closer, they're always talking about jump shooters, and that's something that people believe you need to close games. But is there a guy that you want closing the game more than Giannis at the moment, the way that he can just physically dominate the Celtics? That's a great question. When you look at it, maybe I might go with Kevin Durant just because he can shoot from yeah. the outside. Um, but that's a tough thing to say. Listen, you you see what Giannis can do. Um, but, man, this Bucks team is more than Giannis. And we know how good Giannis is and what he's about and how he can get to the basket and how he can dominate games. I will say this, and this is the thing about Giannis. Giannis makes everybody else around him so much better. And I think when you put it in that perspective – that's why he's the MVP. That's why he gets the credit. And that's why he should get the credit because guys like Brooke Lopez is having a career year. Pat Connington having a career year now. Like these guys are, yeah. you, you didn't really know and they didn't get you that excited. Well, guess what? Giannis has make, made you want to be excited to watch these other guys play. And he's made them better. He's made Chris Middleton better. He's made Eric Bledsoe better. I mean, he got Eric Bledsoe paid without spacing. You know, Eric Bledsoe doesn't get the 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 deal that he gets, and Giannis creates that because you have to you have to have that. So I think that for me, when I look at it, um, as far as a closer goes, maybe Kevin Rant, but but Giannis has done so much that he's been a different type of closer because he's made everybody around him better. If that makes right. sense. Yeah. No, it does. Ty, did you when you were watching that fourth quarter there? Um, it. it it got to the point there, and it was the same in Game Three, where Giannis, every time he touched the ball, I was I was thinking to myself, well, he's either going to get a layup or he's going to get fouled here, because the Celtics really, at that point, it didn't look like there was anything they were going to be able to do to slow him down. No, certainly not. It seems like uh, after much maligned after Game One, and then the quotes the the next day, Mike Budenholzer made some adjustments and has found more ways to get Giannis going. I think the less straight line drives at Al Horford and the more sort of moving him in space and getting him involved in actions and just getting out more in transition too has really helped him. Just to quickly weigh in on the sort of who else would I want closing. I mean, I think it's a really interesting question because like uh, like Brian said, you know, in, in like a vacuum, you could say, well, KD, because, you know, he can pull up from anywhere and he can score from outside. You can say the same about guys like Kawhi Leonard or James Harden. Like, well, maybe if Giannis didn't have the spacing on the Bucks that – you know, obviously he generates some of that himself for the shooters, but they kind of do the same for him in sort of a, a vice versa sort of way. Then maybe those guys would be better. But guess what? Basketball isn't played in a vacuum. It's played, thankfully, for the health of the players. There's no oxygen in vacuums. Um, it's played on basketball courts and on teams that are assembled by front offices. And Giannis plays on the Bucks, and that's how they built it. And that's that's how he's going to play. That's how the game works. So I agree that there's certainly a, at least a very good argument in saying on this team, Giannis – it's pretty hard to find someone who can close a game better than him, as Brian said, with the Bucks around him. Yeah, I definitely think that the team is key to that. I, I think that I, his, his attitude is a big part of it as well because I, I don't think uh, his competitiveness and his sort of drive to win right now, I don't think there's many guys in the league that can match that. And that was part of why uh, you know I said when, when you're talking about Giannis closing, and it's not in a traditional sense, but 
I also just think that we've seen at times, and it, and it was it was clearly evident last night, but there was other times, I think back to the game in Philadelphia towards the end of the regular season, where you were watching Giannis and you saw that he just made a decision that I don't really care what happens tonight, but we're not losing and give me the ball and I'm going to make sure that good things happen, whether that is him dunking, whether that's him finding one of these open shooters. Uh, he just now can dominate a game like not many other guys in the league. But he nearly didn't have a chance to do that because he, he picked up his fourth foul with over eight minutes left in the third quarter. And I had never really, you know, I, I don't really talk about the officials that much because I, I just think unless it's one or two very clear calls, I think uh, generally uh, that sort of stuff sorts itself out. And I, wouldn't, I didn't think that Giannis was really uh, getting any uh, favorable calls. I think it's the way he plays with the physicality he plays with, uh, it, it lends itself that he's a really hard guy not to foul. But the Celtics had a lot to say about the officials. And then Giannis picks up his fourth with eight minutes left in the third. Middleton picks up his uh, fourth with seven minutes left in the third. And I, I guess I'm just wondering, it did seem uh, that there was a change with the way the game was officiated. Did you? What did you see, Brian? Because it, it definitely threatened to take this game away from the Bucks. Yeah, I think when you look at it, you don't mention it a whole lot, um, but it was obvious. In game one, Boston got a lot of the calls. Uh, game two and three, it went Milwaukee's way. In game four, uh, it was back in Boston's way a little bit. That's just kind of the, the flow of, of the way the four games have gone. That's where you give Milwaukee so much credit to overcome that. Um, for me, that's the exciting part about this Bucks team is when you can kind of overcome that and play the way they did, that to me is where you're like, okay, like, this team is really, really good, and they're going to find a way to win games and games they probably shouldn't win. Um, for me, you look at it, and it probably would have gone Boston's way had uh, Pat Connaughton and, and George Hill not played the way that they played. They go ahead and they do that, and then you know it's wide open, and Boston can't say anything. After game three, they had nothing but complaints about the officiating. Game four, they had none of that. So, Brian, you know, as a as a former player who's been, you know, in, in all sorts of leagues, you know, can you kind of feel as a player when the officiating is going towards or against you? And, you know, in your in your experience, is the best thing to do to kind of just ignore it and, and try not to sort of play into getting frustrated and then, you know, picking up some of these technical fouls and, and frustration fouls and everything else? You know, how do you – do you perceive that and how do you handle it? Yeah, there, there's ebbs and flows of a game um, for sure. But I think it's one of those things that – when you worry about that aspect of it and you worry about the officiating, it's going to take you out of your game. Um, that's one of the things you cannot control as the officials, no matter what. You, the only thing you ask for the officials is be consistent for the whole game. Uh, you, you get a feel early on if they're going to call it tight, if they're going to call it loose, what they're going to give you and, and what they're going to call on you. The only thing you ask for is, in a, as being a player in that aspect is, hey, listen, just be consistent. That's all you ask because then you can adjust to it and you can make – you know make changes accordingly but the big thing and i saw in game three jalen brown picked up a ticky tack foul that probably realistically bucks fans wasn't a foul let's just be honest it, it wasn't yeah. but he gets that foul he goes crazy Kyrie fouls the next possession he goes crazy and the whole celtics demeanor changed there game four now you flip the page to game four and there's fouls against middleton there's fouls against Giannis. they're both in foul trouble did any of those guys throw a hissy fit? Did their body language change? Or did they just go to the bench and worry about when their time is called next, they'll be ready for it? That's the way they approached it. 
I give Milwaukee a whole bunch of credit there as far as the way they approach it because I think that's how a team is, and especially a championship team, approaches you know the referees. Listen, we can't control it. There's nothing we can do about it. Do we agree with it? No. But I'm not going to lose any more sleep over it. I'm not going to get upset about it. I'm going to move on to the next play. That's, the I think, the difference in this series, to be honest, is Boston couldn't get over that in game three. Uh, Milwaukee could get over it in game four, and that's why the series is 3-1. Yeah, I think that's right. And I, I think that you can always tell, or the attitude, you can tell when the chips are down a little bit. That's when the, the sort of the true, I guess, emotions come out. And I, I think back to game one, one of the things I commented on about Giannis was at times Giannis has been caught up a little bit, uh, getting frustrated at the officials. There has been times during the season where he hasn't got back on defense as quickly as he should because he is frustrated or, or bothered that he's not getting the calls. There was a couple of times in game one, even though things weren't going well and the Bucks were falling behind, where Giannis looked like he was fouled, he didn't get the call, and he stopped. There was, there was multiple times where he, he had a, a sort of a semi-hesitation and went to look at the, the official, and then he just ran up the floor and and ignored the fact that, or didn't let that get, get a hold of him. And I think that, you know, that is a sign of what this Bucks team is about. And I, I think you're right. I, I think that uh, after game three, one of the things I said, I'm not sure how the officials are, gonna, are, call, are going to call game four, but the fact that that was the Celtics' response out of uh, game three is not really a good sign for, for where their head's at. And I, I think uh, we saw that in game four. Once once things started to go the Bucks' way again, the Celtics, I think, attitude. I mean, this is a team that's had uh, sort of chemistry problems all year. Uh, that third quarter stretch, you touched on it. It was they were Bucks were trailing sixty three sixty five with uh, when Yana or when Middleton went out. Sorry, at that seven seven minute mark, and they go on a seventeen five run and end up with a nine point lead. And they're playing with uh, Middleton, Giannis, and Bledsoe on the bench. So that was really the the series breaking uh, run for me. But uh, I, we have to talk about George Hill. He had seven points in that in in that stretch. Uh, he had overall, he had 15 points again on 6 for 11 shooting. Uh, I, has George Hill surprised you that he's been able to put these performances together? This is a guy that last year in Cleveland was criticized a little bit for not doing enough. He's come here and really thrived in this role uh, from really from day one. As far as I'm concerned, guys, yes. <laughs> that's, a, that's a big yes. Um, I don't think the move to get George Hill was... Uh, a bad move. I thought you added veteran leadership to that bench, which is was needed. I mean, for a while there, you were talking about DJ Wilson and Sterling Brown being your sixth and seventh man off the bench. I don't think that was a bench that could win a championship. Uh, nothing against Sterling Brown, nothing against DJ Wilson. They're just young players. And I think when you add that veteran leadership to a bench, it makes you a NBA championship contender. And that's what the Bucks are. And that's the moves that needed to happen. So I thought that was good. I thought that's what it would give. Did not think that it was going to, you know, kind of form into this, though. Uh, you know, he's been the best player uh, from that bench in games three and four. And you could possibly say he's been the better of the point guards between Eric Bledsoe and him and himself. Yeah, yeah I, uh, I, I think further that, there. Yeah, I will. I, I've been saying on the, I said in the last podcast and said a few other times. I think it's hard to argue against the fact that George Hill has been the best point guard in the series, period, and not just Eric Bledsoe, but when you that includes Kyrie Irving, who obviously is really struggling to shoot the ball. Uh, I mean, Hill's been, every time he's been in the game, uh, you just feel confident that good things are going to happen. 
and uh, I, he he just doesn't make mistakes, Ty. I don't know I don't know how else to describe it. When he has the ball in his hands, things generally work out well. Yeah, I think one of the words to describe George Hill, and I agree with with Brian. I mean, surprise one of them as sort of a what a lot of people would probably consider as somewhat of a, a CBA sort of NBA front office nerd kind of person. When the trade happened, I was like, oh, that's great because he's only partially guaranteed next year. It'll save a lot of money. And yeah. maybe he can add a little bit on the court. And that's that's swung so far the other way. I'm starting to really wonder and send hush texts to people like, maybe they don't cut him and they pay him $19 million? That's probably a, a big stretch. But <laughs> that just speaks that's to not how, happening, Todd. That is not happening. No, I, I don't think that's happening either. But it speaks to how good he's been. And, and the other word I was thinking of was poised. It always seems like he's very ready for the moment. He's very mentally tough, and it seems like that's something that really – I mean, we, we can talk a little bit about Eric Bledsoe and, and some of his up-and-down games against the Celtics in a bit, but by and large across this team, I mean, this has just been a very mentally tough unit. I mean, this Bucks team has faced adversity. You know, obviously losing game one against Boston, trailing most of these other – if not all of these games at halftime that they've won since then. But even going back to the regular season, I mean, you lose Malcolm Brogdon, who's a crucial starter. You know, you lose Miritich for a while. You lose Tony Snell, who isn't maybe the most important contributor, but he matters. I mean, Tony Snell had a real role on this team before he got hurt. And, you know, the Bucks just keep on rolling and they keep finding ways to win. And, you know, it's something that, you know, Brian, when we were talking about officiating, you said the Bucks proved that they're a championship-level team because they didn't let that concern stop them from winning. And I agree. I tweeted, you know, when Bucks Twitter was in just an absolute tizzy over all the calls that, you know what? Great teams don't let things like this stop them from winning. You have to win in spite of adversity. I think that's a mentally tough team that can do that, and I think George Hill is a perfect example of that mental toughness and physical toughness. He's been aggressive. Yeah, I just I got the got the game logs up for for George Hill now. So in this series so far, he's played 103 minutes uh, across the four games. He has 55 points. Uh, he's got 12 assists and zero turnovers in 103 minutes, zero turnovers uh, for George Hill, which is just ridiculous. And that's when I, when I talk about why you feel so confident when he has the ball in his hands. But he just generally doesn't make mistakes. And it might not always get you points and, and if you know someone misses a shot, but he generally is going to put you in the position to, to, uh, to have a really solid offensive uh, possession there. So well, I want to ask you, Brian, because I think that when you look at the – the Bucks rotation right now and the three guys that they're playing off the bench at the moment, obviously George Hill we spoke a lot about. Ersan Ilyasova, obviously a veteran in the league. He was in the playoffs last year, got to the second round with Philadelphia. And Pat Connaughton, a guy that's played in the playoffs uh, with Portland. So when you're on a road and you're in a situation like that where things could have gone bad quickly when you have Giannis off the, off the floor, Milton off the floor in, in real foul trouble, they just sort of needed to hang on what is the value of having these veterans out there that have been in situations before and they're not going to panic? Because I think a lot of people, when they looked at Mike Budenholzer, they thought, saw it as a negative that he does like to ride the vets. He trusts his veteran players. That's something that he's always done. But I think last night we saw the benefit of having veterans in that situation. Listen, I'm going to ride the veterans too. <laughs> I think yeah. youth, listen, you got to put your time in, young fella. Uh, DJ Wilson probably isn't happy that he's not playing right now. I could care less. I don't. It does that does not concern me yeah. at all. It's about winning basketball games right now. You got to put your time in. You got to prove yourself more than a couple of seasons, and or in DJ's case, half a season. Uh, that does nothing for me in the playoffs. You only get so many opportunities 
to make runs at championships. And it's so hard to win championships. And the more times that you go through it, the more you're ready for it when that moment comes. Prime example, George Hill drives, boom, six seconds left, five seconds left, whatever it is, hit Pat Connington in the, for a corner three. We talked on the show, Kane, this earlier this morning. Yeah. But that's a huge play. That goes from an 11-point game at the end of the first quarter to eight points. And that's a veteran move right there. Otherwise, a, veteran, a young point guard is probably going to try to score that, shoot the layup, get it blocked, and now Boston's up 11 instead of eight. That changes when, when the lead's double digits. It changes the way people think and players think about it as far as you know momentum and all of those things. So those are the things that veterans give you. As far as the other thing that's really big, it's the poise. It's the composure. It's the relaxed ability to move the basketball around, not be nervous in pressure situations. There's been occasional pressure situations with this with this Buck Celtic series. There hasn't been as much as I would have liked to see for this Bucks team because I don't know how much they've right. gone through it yet. But every time that a pressure situation has come up, the veterans and mainly the bench has been able to push the lead. Yeah, I uh, so I just looked at the actual uh, plus minus numbers for uh, the Bucks through the first four games of the series. So. Uh, the leaders in the box score plus minus. The, the number one player for the Bucks is George Hill with plus 38. Uh, number two is Ersan Nilisova plus 31. Number three is the other bench guy, Pat Cunningham, with plus 17. And then it's Milton also plus 17 and Miritich plus 16. So those three guys uh, <laughs> having the impact that they're having, this is something that I think a lot of people probably figured was the case. And, and in the playoffs, uh, it certainly comes becomes more of a factor. But for the Bucks, if they keep getting bench minutes like this and not only, uh, you know, keeping pace with the opposition when Giannis is off the floor, but if they are ex- opening up leads consistently, which they have in this series, then I don't know if there's a team, and certainly not Boston, but I don't know if there's a team that can beat the Bucks if the bench uh, are playing a- as dominant as they are, Ty. Yeah, I agree completely. I mean, let's not even look west just yet, but... The two teams fighting it out in the other Eastern Conference series right now, Philly and Toronto, a team that a lot of people thought or had this perception that was a really deep team in the Raptors, they've gotten almost nothing from their bench players. I mean, Fred Van Vliet has been just about unplayable. Um, unfortunately for them, obviously, OG Ananobi is still hurt. Norm Powell has just, from his emergence as a, a rookie, really against Milwaukee, he's taken yeah. just kind of an inexplicable step back. I guess, you know, it's really just an example of, you know, growth not being linear and players having sort of flashes and then lulls, whatever else. But they don't have a lot of players that Nick Nurse can really go to right now. They've been downright bad in, in non-Kawhi minutes. And the Sixers have gotten a little more out of their bench. But I just think that still you see that they lose a lot when they don't have Embiid out there. And that's always been true. And when they don't have Jimmy Butler, it feels like they don't really have any sort of a consistent way to create offense. So I think certainly in those series, it's going to be a huge advantage because, I mean, you can Giannis can still play more than he is right now, and I think I wouldn't be shocked to see that if a series ratcheted up further in difficulty if Giannis played more minutes. But having a, a lineups you can go to when Giannis sits, when Chris sits, whatever, that you can trust to you know, not even just keep things steady but maybe gain a lead on the other team's reserves, I mean, that just makes it – Really, really tough to beat Milwaukee four times in seven games, especially when the Bucks get you know the the lion's share of the games at home. 
thanks to being a quote-unquote try-hard team in the regular season. Yeah, I, I think, I, and just looking at the minutes, and and a lot, there was a lot of talk about the playoff rotation, and, and sort of Bucks fans wanted to see Bud really tighten that up. I think over the last couple of games, we have seen that he's really just rolling with eight players now. He's happy to go with those three guys off the bench. Uh, and just looking at the minutes for the series, Pat Connaughton has actually played the third most minutes uh, out of the Bucks players, only behind Giannis and Chris. He's played more minutes than Lopez uh, and Eric Bledsoe and Miritic, three of the starters. So, you know, that's that's how much uh, Bud is, is trusting uh, him off the bench, George Hill, uh, another guy that's obviously played over 100 minutes and averaging over 25 a game. But I sort of wanted to look at the Celtics a little bit because, I mean, the series isn't over, but... It may as well be. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it may as well be. It feels like it's over. The Celtics certainly did not look like a team that was ready to, to fight back from a 3-1 deficit after the game last night. But what are you seeing from Kyrie, in this, Kyrie Irving in this series, Brian? Because he was the guy that, if you were going to talk about the Celtics, and I know we spoke about this the other day on the on the Halla show about the fact that you know Kyrie with the ball in his hands in a close game in the fourth quarter is scary, but... Uh, he just hasn't been able to get anything to go. And I think a lot of that has to has to be credit to the Bucks' defense. But I don't think he's helping himself out there. No, I've seen some of the worst shots selection um, that I've yeah. seen from an NBA player. And that's saying a lot when you have James Harden in the same league as you. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> the difference between Kyrie and James Harden is James Harden makes some shots. Uh, Kyrie has not made any shots. And just some of the, the shot selection, I think – when you looked at game one, that ball was popping. That ball was moving around the perimeter. Everybody was getting some touches. It was going. It was doing what it was supposed to do. And then you look at, you know, games two, three, and now even four. And he said something after the press conference saying, you know, I took 22 shots. I should have taken 30 shots. Well, no, you shouldn't have. Um, <laughs> you know, you should have probably taken some less, get some other guys involved, and made Milwaukee play some defense. Milwaukee's a really good defense team. We know that. But they're really good when you only dribble down and take a jump shot, too. That makes them really good, too, because they don't have to work. And then uh, then all of a sudden, um, you know, when they when you do make them work, the energy level isn't there and they're able to go. Um, so I think, to me, that's been the biggest thing with Kyrie is his shot selection. I think it's been very, very questionable, and that's at best. Uh, that's why I think he struggled. Uh, when you have to continually take tough shots and you rely on that to get you going – it's tough to get you going. Yeah, I, I feel like I, I mean, I, I feel like I've sort of just been repeating myself over the last three games. But uh, the fact is, nothing's changed with Kyrie. He's been doing the same thing every game, and I, I've said this that it's pretty much uh, echoing what you just said. Uh, you you have to get the, this Bucks defense moving, and you have to put them under some pressure. And he hasn't done that. He, he's been happy to go one on one and try and force up tough shots. And it's just not working for him. I'm, I'm looking at some of the percentages for the Celtics in the series, and this is what's so staggering about this. Al Horford is over is shooting 52% from the field on the series. Jalen Brown is shooting 49% from the field on the series. Marcus Morris is shooting 65% from the field on the series. Uh, Jason Tatum obviously struggling from the three-point line, but inside the three-point line, he's over 50% on the series. So their other four starters have been making shots, and they've been hitting shots. Kyrie Irving is 31 for 83 from the field, only 37%. And really, Ty, I mean, he can't, he, he has to, and he has to be able to trust his teammates. And to be honest, he doesn't seem to even want to do that. No, he doesn't. And I think just 
quickly point up some numbers to kind of back up what we've been talking about, really the eye test on Kyrie's shooting. I think this is probably one of the best ways to look at it. According to stats.nba.com in this series, a full 65% of Kyrie's shots have come with three or more dribbles. That's broken up into three to six dribbles and seven plus dribbles. And literally most of his shots, more than from any other dribble amount, 36% and seven or more dribbles. And that at that point, I mean, you're dribbling the air out of the ball. That's pretty much just going to be a, a sort of one-on-one or maybe one-on-more shot against you know the Bucks defense that I think really a lot of this is a credit to Milwaukee's focus on rim protection because a lot of these shots are not Kyrie getting to the rim. They're Kyrie having to do some crazy spin around, pull up, you know, fade away shot and just listen, he can make those sometimes. That's great. That's terrific. He cannot, and I don't think anyone in the league can make those at a high enough rate to make it a good offense, especially in this today's age of just focused efficiency being everything and we know you need to get to the rim and get to the free throw line and take threes and everything else. And the Bucks are just saying, listen, go ahead and take those twos. Don't get anyone else involved. That's that's fine. That helps us too because, you know, as, as both of you guys mentioned about moving the ball, the Celtics have a good team. There's good offensive players here. But that doesn't matter if one guy takes all the shots. You might as well have four catch-and-shoot guys who can't do anything with the ball if they're not going to see it anyway. So I think the the strong overall team Boston has built up kind of gets neutralized when one guy is going to take 20 shots a game and most of those shots are going to be him dribbling the air out of the ball and then trying to pull up over a much bigger defender. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see what happens when this series does end. It, to me, there's no chance that Kyrie's coming back to this to this, to the Celtics. I, I just cannot see that happening. He doesn't really seem to want to be there. And to be honest, I don't think his teammates seem like they really want him there either. I This isn't a talent issue with the Celtics, but... Uh, I think when you when you're looking at the differences between the two teams, and and I, I don't know if it's it's as this simple or this clear to you, Bri, but I mean the Bucks genuinely like each other. They like playing together, and they play for each other. Uh, the Celtics are led at the top by a guy that is trying to do it all himself. Well, and that's like you said, and we started this whole you know podcast out by by talking about Giannis and MVP and you know what he does as far as a closer, but. I think Giannis's biggest strength is that he makes every single one player around him better. And when you do that, and with his personality and not needing the attention and not demanding the attention, it lets it lets everybody eat a little bit. And what do I mean by that? Well, Chris Milton gets his you know shine a little bit. Eric Bledsoe got a new contract; he can eat just fine now. Yeah. There's guys around him that are all benefiting from Giannis being the superstar. Tell me who's benefiting in Boston with Kyrie. Yeah, I, I, Kyrie, I, I guess. There's nobody, right? Like, I mean, yeah, nobody right now. Guys like Gordon Hayward should be doing more. I know he's coming yeah. off the ankle and he should be playing more. He should, you, but you should be getting more out of him. Kyrie should be making Gordon Hayward better. Kyrie should be making Jason Tatum better. Kyrie should be making Al Horford better. He's not, and that's the difference. Guys want to play with Giannis. They want to be a part of what he's doing because he's including everyone. Kyrie's not. He's kind of separating himself, and that's why that's probably his last season in Boston, and you'll see him in New York. Yeah, I, uh, it was funny. I was talking to, to Eric Bledsoe earlier this week uh, before they went to Boston, and um, we, were, we were talking about a number of things, but one of the things I asked him about was the contract that he, that he signed and why he, he, you know, the timing of that happened the way it did and, and how confident he was that not only does he want to do great things with his team this year, 
But this is a long-term thing with the Bucks, and this is a long-term thing that they're setting up. And obviously, this summer is going to be key to that. And when I when I asked him about the contract, he sort of just leaned back, got a big smile on his face, and he's like, "Come on, man!" He's like, "We got a superstar." He's like, "We got Giannis." He's like, "Why would I not want to play with him?" He, he said the same thing. He said he makes everyone better. He's such just a great person to be around. And when you're a leader from the top, it is a guy with that character and a guy that people love to be around and want to play with. Then I, I think that. You know, it, it sort of filters all the way down. But for the Bucks, it's interesting now. And we sort of look ahead to Game Five. Obviously, the Milwaukee uh, Milwaukee are going to try and close this thing out on Wednesday night uh, at Fiserv. But we still haven't got an update on Brogdon, and we're not really sure if he's going to play in in this series. And if the series ends tomorrow, then the Bucks will get at least five days off. The earliest. Uh, from what I'm hearing or what I read today, the earliest that the, the conference finals would start would be Monday night in Milwaukee. So he would get another five days off. So uh, do you think that this it's critical for Brogdon to get minutes before that series or you are not too worried about that, tie? I would like him to get – just to get acclimated a little bit. I mean, as we kind of saw, I think with – and they're different players, but you look at Marcus Smart getting the his debut in Game Four. I think uh, he, I mean he's not an offensive powerhouse or, or like Clay Thompson anyway, but I think he was like one for five from three and just kind of didn't make the same impact that Marcus Smart would usually make on a team. And yeah, it's just I, I think there's just such kind of a relearning curve when you come back after a while. We kind of saw it with Nikola Mirotic. I think Tony Snell. We haven't seen it as much just because we just haven't seen Tony Snell that much. Um, but I think if Tony Snell were asked to play big minutes, we'd see that too. And I just think you never take any game lightly, but I think, you know, up 3-1 at home against a team that I know I, know, I think we've all kind of agreed a little bit here is kind of seems a little defeated and a little in their own heads right now in Boston. That seems like a better environment to reintroduce Brogdon than a game one, still albeit at home against a, a good, probably Toronto, maybe Philly team, but I just think you need every little thing you can get in the playoffs. Every game is close. It's always a close shave. And, you know, we here at Blue Wire know about close shaves because we've teamed up with Harry's to make sure our listeners are shaving comfortably. You guys, everyone listener, guys, girls, women, men, whoever, can go to harrys.com slash bluewire to save $10 on a valued trial set, which includes a five-blade razor with a lubricating strip and trimmer blade rich lathering shave gel and a travel blade cover you get all of that for just three dollars three bucks as it were ship right to your door enough with the cheap razors it's totally worth trying harry's they fix shaving by combining a simple clean design with quality and durable blades at a fair price that matters like eric bledsoe's extension it's very fair i think harry's founders were tired of paying for razors that were overpriced and overdesigned. Harry's bought a world-class blade factory in Germany that's been making quality blades for more than 95 years. Join the 10 million who have tried Harry's. Claim your trial offer by going to harrys.com slash bluewire. All of Harry's blades come with a 100% quality guarantee. If you don't love your shave, let them know and they'll give you a full refund one more time. Go to harrys.com slash bluewire to redeem your razor and all the other stuff for just three bucks. Three dollars, King. Uh, again, just an incredible ad read from Ty. Uh, that's you know his favorite part of the show. But I will say, Brogdon. When we were just one last thought on on Malcolm Brogdon, 
Uh, last year, we know that he returned right on the eve of the playoffs uh, after having an extended uh, time off with that quadriceps injury that he had. He came into the first round, and look, let's be honest, he wasn't alone in struggling to shoot the ball for the Bucks against the Celtics last year, but you know, we know how efficient uh, Brogdon is scoring the ball. He finished uh, just 43% from the field and just 26% from three in that series. So if, you know, when you're thinking about getting Brogdon back, is it unrealistic to expect that he's going to be able to step right in? What What is your expectation of Brogdon when he comes back, Brian? And obviously I think we should expect there'll be a pretty uh, tight minutes limit. Yeah, he's going to be rusty. Uh, for him to come in and not be rusty, it just doesn't happen that way. I don't care how many practices he's got in. I don't know how many five-on-five five games he's got. In. It doesn't matter. Uh, I know his old his old man game, as everyone's been saying, is you, know, you can't tell if he's more explosive and all of that stuff. But it, he there's going to be rust. And so for me to, to have him play in game five, I'm fine with that. If you lose game five, big deal. They're not going to beat you three times. Now, you would like to close it out. There's going to be a minute minutes restriction. You're better. You've got the home uh, fans into it. You're on your home court. You're not going to sit there sit there and put Malcolm Brogdon out there where he's going to hurt you. But to get him introduced into the game, I think is a very good thing if he's if he's good to go. Yeah, I, I my feeling is that, and again, it's obviously just a feeling, but I think a lot of this is kind of going to be dictated by. The position of the series, and I thought that maybe if the Bucks were, were trailing at this point or the series was tied, then maybe they look at getting him back. But uh, like you sort of pointed out, there's really no urgency right now to rush Brogdon back. If there was any concerns at all, the Bucks, while they will want to close this out uh, on Wednesday night, they also uh, have have bigger plans than than just this series at the moment with the three one lead. So we will find out about that, but. It's 7 o'clock um, Wednesday night at Fiserv. The Bucks looking to get through the conference finals for the first time since 2001. What's, are the Celtics any chance to, to come into Milwaukee and steal this one? I, quickly, I, I don't think so. I just think – I don't think momentum is as real in the playoffs as most people think, but we saw a team at kind of the height of its powers in Game 4, and we saw a team about as dejected as you can look, and I think – it goes without saying which team was which, and I think the better team will win anyway, and that's been the Bucks for most of this series. You got the Bucks, Brian? Uh, yeah, no, I definitely have the Bucks. Uh, does, does Boston stand a chance? No. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I would say if they had a good leader and a guy that you know they could rally around, I would believe in it a lot more. But I don't think they're rallying around Kyrie Irving. So for me, it's a quick. They finish the Bucks. The Bucks finish this out, and uh, they move on to the Eastern Eastern Finals. Yeah, they they uh, the Celtics did not, as I said earlier, they they do not look like a team that that is up for the fight, uh, which you know trailing three one would be. So I tend to agree. Uh, the Celtics looked like a team that are that are ready to to end this season, a, a season that they thought that they were going to be, you know, contending for a title, and and really just they've never got going all year long. But uh, it's uh, you know for Milwaukee this, and this is one thing that I've always said all year, just from being around the team. It would hard. It would be hard for me to imagine a, a more competitive team and a team that wants to win more than this group. And I think at times, if you get a three-one lead, potentially there could be room to take your foot off the gas. But uh, with Giannis leading this team, uh, I, I just don't think that happens. They aren't built that way. We've seen how they've responded to losses all season. We've seen how they responded to losing game one. So I, I tend to agree. I, I think if the Bucks open up an early lead in this one, it could uh, it could really blow out. I, I don't think the Celtics are going to be up for the fight. But 
uh, I think we're we're close to the end here. Have you you got any last uh, thoughts, Ty? Just that I'm very happy. It seems like Bucks and five is a, a good prediction again. <laughs> I I was a little worried about saying it after game one, but it's kind of aged back into relevance, like uh, fashion from the '70s. So I'm I'm in a good place right now. No, I don't have anything else to add besides that. No, my 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 prediction, and we were sort of in the same boat. Uh, I don't know whether. I said this to Brian, but my, my, my prediction before the series was if the Bucks won the first two games at home, it was going to end quickly and they were going to win, the, win it in five because I didn't think the Celtics had the, had the sort of mentality of a, of a team that wants to come back from a deficit at this point. They might win in five, but I certainly didn't have predicted that have their biggest loss in the season uh, in game one and then come back. But uh, I think we are at the end. Like I said, the Bucks game five tomorrow, uh, Wednesday night, uh, 7 p.m. at Fiserv Forum. And Brian, thanks a lot for, for coming on. Hey, I appreciate it, guys. You guys do a great job. Love listening to it. Uh, like I said, you can get it here, but also you can get it at thescorewi.com. Uh, you guys do a fantastic job. Can't wait uh, for you guys to bring it into the Eastern Conference Finals and hopefully the uh, NBA Finals. Yeah, we hope we've got a couple more games to talk about. But like I said earlier, Brian is on 6-8. to eight on the score Wisconsin uh they they look after me and Ty we're on there semi-regularly talking talking bucks so uh thanks again to Brian and Ty uh it was good to have you back it's good to be back again I'm hoping that uh, I get to stick around for a while here hope fingers crossed but uh yeah definitely thank you Kane thank you everyone for listening thank you Brian everyone should listen to the score WI it's available online scorewi.com otherwise in the Appleton and Oshkosh areas at various frequencies I don't know offhand I do know Brian's Twitter is at Brian underscore Butch. You should definitely follow him. And uh, if you enjoyed this, you know, subscribe, rate, review the podcast, tell two friends, they'll tell two friends, whatever else. You know, spread the word. We always appreciate it. We've been uh, seeing a, a good bit of growth lately, and hopefully that's not just because the Bucks are so good, although it certainly doesn't hurt. But, uh, yeah, again, thanks, everyone, for listening, and we'll uh, catch you next time. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.